four years ago, I had a brain tumor. My life was full on. My kids were small, as I said, were dealing with eczema. I had a job, I had a business, I had it all going. And then I had this brain tumor and my life had to stop. For months and months and months, I had to relearn how to get back up again, how to do things like walking. I had to read, I had to pick myself back up. The blessing of that process is this whole thing of actually what kind of work life do I want to have? And how can I shape my work life so that I can incorporate more rest into my schedule so it's not so full on? I started to look at how can I create more margin in my life so I actually have space? What can I remove? What's causing me to be all backed up and all to the pages? This thing ain't kill me. It means it ain't my time to die and it means I've got things to do. I still have a purpose. And by the way, each and every one of us has as this, you have a purpose that only you can fulfill. And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership. And today I have an incredible person that I'm looking forward to this conversation with. She is someone who I have seen over the last number of years showing up online on LinkedIn in remarkable ways. She's always just so free, so bubbly, so full of energy, always encouraging people, adult people who have worked with her and she had crazy amount of testimonials who back up that she is the real deal. But rather than me just read a bio, I'm going to ask my guests to introduce herself. Over to you. Hi. Well, hello, hello. Thank you so much for that welcome, um, Sophie. Um, so my, how do I introduce myself? It's one of those who are you type of work questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know. <laughs> What do I need to tell you about me? Well, well, let, we can start with work and work backwards from there. But um, so what I currently do at the moment is I am super passionate about helping people, women in particular, to start being visible in their work lives. And we and LinkedIn just happens to be the platform that I advocate that you use to do this. So I teach women how to use LinkedIn to build their personal brand so that you can advance your business or your career. Um, so, but, um, but we'll probably talk about how I got into this because it's not the kind of thing that you just say, when I grow up, I want to be a LinkedIn visibility coach, you know, so that was a bit random. But um, outside of that, I am a, I'm a wife, um, married to my childhood sweetheart for 16 years now, and um, I'm a mom of two wonderful, amazing daughters, and I am a woman of faith, um, which informs everything that I do, you know, so... Because I always talk about building a personal brand and bringing your personal brand to the table. And part of that authenticity is bringing all the elements of who you are. So in my work, all of these facets of who I am affect how I show up in the world and the things that I do. So that's why it's always important to get started with those things, you know? <laughs> I like the whole, I call it the rounded approach. It's the, the whole, the full individual rather than just the different elements, which is what I guess tends to happen sometimes. Like we feel like we can only just breathe a little bit. Like, no, let's let's bring let's bring all of it. That's the full energy. That's the that's the greatest lives there. And when you listen to someone talk about visibility and helping women in particular show up, you have this image of someone who is full of confidence, an extrovert who's out there and pouring out. So I want to peel it like way back. Let's go up to younger, younger Mildred. What were you like then? Oh, I, I, I so love that because this is one of the biggest misconceptions that people have about me. They're like, Mildred, because you're out there, you must be this outgoing extrovert, all of that kind of stuff. Actually, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I am the absolute opposite in terms of my personality type. I am an introvert by nature. Now, I didn't actually know what all that meant officially until kind of I was way into my adults, right? But going back to, to, to little Mildred, little Mildred was really shy, you know, so much so that um, I would be in school and if the teacher even thought to ask me a question, I would turn red and I'm black. <laughs> so that's kind of hard to do. 
you know? So that was just how much I did not want to be seen, you know? And this is like a theme that played out throughout a lot of my life. And even in my career, I went into journalism because I love writing. But to be honest, I had the option as well to do broadcast and radio and all that. But I writing also gave me a space to hide, you know, because I could do stuff behind the scenes. And I was, I was always like, yeah, I'm good behind the scenes. That's kind of my thing. You know, and I had this thought that there are some people who are either kind of made for the stage, you know, center stage type people, extrovert type people. And then there are others who are not. And I was just part of the others who were not. At least so I thought. Where did that thought come from? Cheers. I think it was just from young. The fact that I was just, that was my natural personality type. And and this is now that I know a whole lot more. And by the way, one of the books that I highly recommend is Quiet by Susan Cain. It talks about the power of introverts in the world that can't stop talking. One of the things that I now know, and that book helped me to put that into words, is that in Western society especially, we really celebrate people who are loud, who are out there, even from a young age, you know, from primary school, from nursery, you know, even some of the things my, my kids, um, they're now seven and eight. But I remember when my daughter was like in nursery, my older one, she's about four. And the teachers and nursery workers would always say, oh, she's such a lovely kid, but oh, she's so quiet, you know, as if it was like a bad thing. You know, and that took me back to like me being young. And that was what I would get a lot. Oh, Mildred is so lovely, but she's so quiet. And and it's like, we put quiet as if it's like a bad thing, you know? And, and this is where like, I talked about the faith stuff from the get-go, right? This is one of the things I came to understand through my faith is that there's a difference between shyness and quiet. You know, they are not the same thing. You know, so when you're shy, it stops you. It is a, it is an obstacle. It is something that actually stops you from doing the things you're supposed to do, from being the person you're supposed to be. So you live in life as a fraction of yourself, if that. But quietness, that's a personality type, <laughs> you know? And in fact, it's a personality type that the Bible even honors, you know? So the quiet spirit, God loves the quiet spirit, you know? But I'm just saying that to say that, it's really kind of understanding that there are different, we all have different personality types, but sometimes when we buy into the limitations that we have about our own personality type, it can keep us from doing things. So I used to think, okay, I'm quiet. Well, at the time I thought shy until I changed it, I realized it's quiet, but I used to think that means that I can't get up on stage, I can't speak, and those things terrified me. You know, but in fact, public speaking terrifies a lot of people anyway, it's the number one fear, <laughs> you know? It is the number one fear, you know, even more than death. So I used to just think like, oh, that's not for me. And I ruled myself out for a long time until I couldn't do that anymore, you know, because there was just something inside that was like, Mildred, you've got more to give than this. You know, there's like, I always had this feeling of like, like I needed that there was more that I'm supposed to do and to be, but this whole not trying to be out there, trying to stay behind the scene was holding me back. And that had to change. And it did. What was it that actually led you to reading the book Quiet? Because to your point, there are a lot of people there feel that way, where there's something inside of me that feels like he wants to break out, but I keep on holding it back and holding it back. And a lot of times people would listen to that and not do anything about it. You chose, it sounds like, to either read a book or someone recommended it to you where you're like, no, I want to listen to that inner voice. I want to do something about that inner calling. What was it that made that change for you? Because that's important. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Quiet, the book Quiet actually came along a whole lot later in this journey, you know, because at that point, and, and it was actually in my 30s, was it? I can't remember exactly when, but at some point in my even late 20s or early 30s and I read the book Quiet. You know, but before that, I had started the journey of what I now know is personal development, you know. So, and that started with things like, I remember, now this is funny because I'm actually going to post about, um, about it this week and I wrote about it in my newsletter, which goes out um, every Monday, about this whole thing of saying yes to opportunities that you, that you don't feel ready for. So even though I had this thing that wanted me to run and hide, I also had this other thing that was like, Mildred, you're meant to do more. You know, this inner voice is like, 
like that of of greatness is the best is the best way I can describe it as pushing me to a greater and a better version of myself. So I ended up saying yes to opportunities that I did not feel ready for. And one of those opportunities, I remember when um, my old one of my one of my mentors, um, Adeline, amazing woman who kind of supported me on my journalism journey. She invited me to come and speak, you know, my first speaking engagement. You know, she she asked me to come and speak to a class of young journalists. I was in my early 20s, mid-20s at this time. And she wanted me to come and share my story of my career journey. And she offered to pay me as well, 50 quid, right? Which was like, back then it was like, whoa, someone can pay me to talk, <laughs> you know? So, and I was absolutely terrified. I'm like, what am I going to say? You know, those voices in your head telling you that, what if you, you, what if you're rubbish? What if like all of that kind of stuff? But you know what? I found myself saying yes before I can talk myself out of it, you know, and I did it. And that was one of the first points of my life where it's like, huh, so if I actually push past the fear that tells me not to do the things that I'm scared of doing and actually do it, I'm, I can come out the other side of this feeling quite good, which I did. You know, I finished that all the adrenaline, it was only 20 minutes, you know, but all the adrenaline, that talk, and I was like, and that gave me a taste of like, I actually like speaking. It's scary, but I like this. I enjoy like having an impact on people. I enjoy using my words, my story, my life or whatever to make a difference in someone else's life. And then when I was done, people were like, oh, that was so inspirational. I'm like, me? Inspirational? You know? But that was what I kept hearing. I said from that point, I started accepting little bits of next, any, any opportunity somebody gave me to do something like that, I would accept as terrifying as it was. And one of the things I used to do as well to get myself out of that comfort zone of you're an introvert, you want to be behind the scenes. I used to go to networking events, you know, and I hated networking events, but I would go intentionally and I would go alone, you know, because if you, if I went intentionally and I went alone, I would have to be, I would be forced to talk to somebody you know, and go and do all of those things that maybe want to run a mile. But I did this again and again and again. I'm telling you, I went to practically every event, <laughs> you know, around business and careers and stuff, because those are my interests that I could get to just so I can expose myself to the discomfort of being in environments that wasn't comfortable for me, you know. And guess what happened? Over the years, they slowly started to get more and more comfortable, over the years, I started to become a better speaker. I even joined Toastmasters at one point, you know, to help me get comfortable standing up in stage and leading people for speaking. So at my personal development journey has been well over 15 years and it's still ongoing because I believe it's a lifelong thing. But in the process of doing that, I have absolutely transformed my own perceptions of what I thought I could do and what was possible for me based on my personality type. I suggest why I listen to you talk about your personal development journey and what that's looked like, what that's felt like, how you've grown as an individual. And then I think back to some of the things that you also went through, even your journey of being an entrepreneur. Because I read about the fact that, see, your dad's an entrepreneur, you already had that inside of you. And as you're growing as a person, you're also growing from a business acumen. So was that that interlace that even helped you to elevate even more that even as entrepreneurs, you have to personally develop and grow. You can't just look at it from a business lens because it's you, you're the person, you're the founder. So the more you grow, the more your business grows or the more you grow, the more your network expands. Do you see a link between both of those two things? Absolutely, absolutely. I. I always say that my clients are so lucky to have me, right? <laughs> talk your talk. <laughs> talk your talk. I like that. You know, and then really, and not just because I'm great at what I do, but because I'm on a constant pursuit of getting better, you know, and everything that I learn that benefits me benefits my business and the people that I serve. You know, so so that's that's the thing. I definitely see a link between personal development and your business growth. You can only your business can only go as far as you've grown. You know, and that is the truth. Even as you expand and you start to hire people and all of that kind of stuff. And yes, you can hire and 
talent and people who can do things and know things that you don't know. But to a certain point, your own growth is going to influence the 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 size and the growth of your business. You know, so I, I think it's incredibly important as entrepreneurs that we prioritize personal development. I've spent, and in the beginning, I used to kind of, I used to go down the DIY route. I was like, right, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to learn it for free. I'm going to learn it on YouTube. I'm going to, maybe I'll buy a book, you know. I remember actually the first time I paid like what I thought was big money at the time for a book. I paid 20 pounds for a book, right? <laughs> you know, it was called The Rare Find by George Anders. Um, you know, and I went to meet him um, for the event. And I was like, my God, I've arrived because I've spent big money on a book, you know. But for me, that was like a sign to me of how seriously that I was taking my own growth. You know, and there comes a point where you have got to back your yourself with finances. You've got to back, back your personal development and your growth by putting in a financial injection, you know, in terms of buying books, buying courses, going on programs, whatever it is, hiring a coach, because all of that is going to help you become a better version of you. And that's going to help your business to grow. So I've now spent a whole lot of money, <laughs> you know, over the years you know, in developing myself, but every single penny has been and is worth it because each time I'm finding a new version of myself, I'm finding myself better than I was yesterday. And I think that is absolutely a, a goal that we should all strive for. Let me go back to your CV writing. You talked about you were a journalist and then from journalism, you went to CV writing. Where's the link? and <laughs> <laughs> two different completely two different worlds like where's the what happened <laughs> but this is the thing there this is the thing i've always been someone who followed what i like to call my inner vocation right so if i want if i feel that something needs to be done i'll do it so my first business was actually age 11 um, where me and my brothers and sisters, we set up a typing business. Now, this really reveals my age, right? Because I used to, my dad used to have a typewriter, you know? And when computers first came around, my dad was, is an author. He's still alive, thank you, Jesus. But he's written like 27 um, books, written and self-published 27 books today, you know? So that's a lot. But can you imagine, right? In the beginning, he used to write his books by hand, pen and paper. And then he upgraded to a typewriter and he used to type his books. And then when computers came along, he's like, huh, I've got five children, <laughs> you know, if you know technology better than me. So why don't I get my children to type my manuscripts on the computer? So that was what we, he got us doing, typing his manuscripts on the computer. And after a while of doing this on my dad, we're like, you know what? If my dad would pay us for this, if if my dad can lose this, right, there must be other people who would pay us to do the same thing. So that's how we set up the business called Link's Typing Business. My brother printed some flyers. We went to the station, um, Leighton, Leighton Station. I grew up in East London. And we handed out the flyers. And it was about maybe a couple of weeks of doing this. We got our first um, clients, which were like, we started to get like professors and people like that who wanted the essays type we wanted we got students who wanted their stuff um typed as well and they were paying us for it so this was like oh my god my first taste of business and i was just 11 at the time so that that taste continued you know so 19 i set up a magazine with my student loan because i saw a need in the market for a girls magazine that wasn't about blooming makeup on boys you know so i created one you know deeper magazine it was called and then, so how the CV comes into it is, so I have been a side hustler um, for my entire career. I always had a job, a day job, and I always had a business because I needed a place to kind of express myself. And I had all these ideas in my head that I'm just like, I'm just going to follow through on these ideas. So while I was um, work going down the journalism line, I was working in the media, um, within like a few months of joining my first proper job, editorial assistant in a magazine, I was promoted to um, assistant editor. So now I had the responsibility of recruiting people, you know, as well as putting together, producing the magazine. So, and, and at this time, in the two years I was in that role, I saw all kinds of CVs 
and cover letters and they were rubbish <laughs> you know they were really really bad and i'm somebody who if i see a problem and i can provide a solution i'm gonna go ahead and do it so that was literally i was like you know what writing is something i've always been good at and editing and all that i can help people create cvs that will get them jobs so i tested it out on a few friends a few colleagues did their cvs took whatever they paid me just to see if actually people would pay me for it and they did and that was it I was in business got my brother to design flyers and that was the business <laughs> you know you can't have a business until you have the flyer <laughs> so yeah that was literally how it started and that ended up lasting for 12 years so that became your you went from side hustle to main hustle it, it did but I never stopped the day job you know, but I think I was scared um, of the, the security of having a day job. And also, to be honest, I enjoyed both worlds because they were so different. But eventually, after a while, I started to merge both worlds, you know. So what I was doing outside of work became what I was doing inside of work. I created a role for myself in my last um, one of my last jobs that I had, which had me doing communications because I trans transitioned from journalism into a little bit of PR for a short while and then into communications for much longer. So I ended up creating a role where I was managing communications and then I also started managing the youth employment program in this organization I was working for, which is a youth center, because I wanted to bring in what I was doing outside, helping people find jobs to the work that I was doing inside this youth center because I saw a need. So. Yeah, that's, um, I kind of, if I see a need I can meet, I, I will go for it and plug that gap. That was, that's kind of like how I'm wired. How long would you advise someone to run a side hustle and a main hustle together? If your side hustle is taken off really, really well and you can pay your bills, you can do everything you want to do. How long should I keep on still doing both? I think that's the point where you let go of one. You know, when your side hustle overtakes your, your day job, that's when you let go. In the past, I have, I wasn't so wise to it up. And actually the first time I let go of my, of my day job to go fully into my side hustle, my CV business was probably about, um, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. Right. And at the time I was like, I was thinking the CV business is doing quite well. It wasn't overtaking my day job income just yet. But I said to myself and to my husband at the time, I was like, listen, imagine I'm getting all this done on a part-time few hours that I'm spending on this business. Imagine what would happen if I went full-time. Surely I'm going to double the income and the clients and all of that. It's just going to be great. We're going to be rolling the money, right? <laughs> well, that did not happen. <laughs> that, that did not happen at all because... It was like this real roller coaster of like, and the funny thing is when I left that job, um, it was working in housing at the time in comms and I left and like, they did like this big send off speech for me. The CEO was like, we've had people leave us to go to other jobs, but we've never had anyone leave to start their own business fully. So Mildred, you're inspirational, like all that kind of big stuff. Right. And so I was, I went full time on my own and it was it was hard sometimes, you know, some months the income was good and then the next month it was bad. And then it was like, so it was up and down, feast and famine, more famine than feast. And until one point, my, probably about almost eight months into it, my husband was like, come on, Mildred, I've had enough. Like, it's like, <laughs> you've got to go back to work, you know? And I was like, but I can't go back to work because I told them I'm never working for anyone again. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, I ended up going back to work. Not the same organization, somewhere different because I realized then I hadn't set up. Now with hindsight, I realized then I had no structure. I had nothing really kind of set up and the income hadn't overtaken my day job before I left. I left too early, you know, and I did it because of that. It wasn't sustainable. So I had to go back into work and I worked for, went back to side hustling for many more years until actually um, 2020 beginning of 2020s when I left properly again now and I'm full-time and it's still working so yeah <laughs> so it is when you're when your side of soul takes your main hustle that's a good chance to quit if it doesn't then that's a good sign for you just to keep on 
grinding and also get good foundations in, in place. Because you, you can get all threes in it because sometimes you can be, you leave too early, good example. You can leave right on time, which is great. Or you can leave too late, which is when you miss a window sometimes. And literally you talked about 2020 and you went fully back into that because when I think about time and windows, you gone hard on LinkedIn January 2020 and then obviously the pandemic happened <laughs> a number of months later. I'm like, that's that's some faith. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was my target. <laughs> you know, it, it absolutely was because it's funny because just leading up to that time, I felt this real urgency that I needed to focus on LinkedIn. You know, because I was, I'd always been on LinkedIn kind of thing. Um, because my business, my CV business, most of my clients came through LinkedIn, and this was me not being as intentional or visible as I am today. You know, so and I was like, okay, LinkedIn as a platform definitely has potential more so than blooming Facebook, right? Which people will celebrate you, but they don't want to buy nothing. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't want to do that. So like Facebook, Instagram, like as a business platform, but also. As a place to build your personal brand, there's so much more to LinkedIn than what I've tapped into so far. So I felt this real urgency, um, end of 2019, to really focus on LinkedIn. And so I did, you know. So January 2020, um, I started with like a 30-day challenge. Um, I paid for somebody's 30-day challenge where like, the challenge was essentially post every single day on LinkedIn for 30 days. You know, and I was like, oh my God, this is hard. Because prior to this, I posted like, you know, whenever inspiration hit, you know, which was maybe four times a month, maybe a little bit more than that, but never every day, never consistent, never a strategy, but it was a challenge. So I got all in with the challenge. And I'm telling you, at the end of that 30 days, I didn't stop. So it's been four years almost now that I've posted every single weekday and some weekends on LinkedIn and I still haven't run out of things to say, you know, but it's the, the amazing thing of, of it is like the divine time. And that's why I say it's definitely divine time. As I said, I felt led to go there. And then uh, within a few months of really honing down on LinkedIn, the pandemic happens and now nobody's going to networking events, no one's doing all this stuff, and people are like, how do we connect with each other? Oh, LinkedIn, how do we use LinkedIn? I know I set it up 10 years ago, but I've never been on it. And there I was offering LinkedIn coaching services, and bang, it really took off from there. So it's, it's time, and you're right, it's definitely important too, you know? And now you are, what right word to use, when it comes to visibility and LinkedIn, how do you keep your boundaries in place? Because I think one of the things that I see in conversations I have with people as well is, yeah, but I don't want to share my personal stuff. But then LinkedIn, people seem to share a lot of personal stuff and they get hits and clicks. But it's a professional website so, or professional platform. So there's all this back and forth that people have. And as someone who has spent time analyzing, working with people, doing your own stuff, what would you recommend to people the best way to be able to show up on a platform like LinkedIn? Oh, yes, that's definitely a question I get um, a lot, you know, in terms of that professional, personal balance thing. And this is where I, I'm also going to remind you, <laughs> you know, and say like, as an introvert, I'm also a private person. People don't believe this, right? Because they're like, but I, I saw, you know, <laughs> I feel like I know about this and that and that, but if you take a look at it, the things that you know, uh, one, the things that I want you to know, because I have a PR background, I have an understanding of publicity and all of that, but also the things to me that are private is you don't, I don't share that unless there's a reason for me sharing that. So for example, I almost never post about my kids, you know, on LinkedIn. That's a boundary for me. That it's like, yeah, I'm not here. My 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 life is not for trades, for likes and reactions and all of that stuff. Because personal content does do well, you know. But if I'm posting about something personal like that, there has to be a good reason for it. For me, that good reason is that it's helping other people in a powerful way, you know. Other than that, it's just your the 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 high that you get from a viral post and all of that. One, it almost often doesn't translate to business results if you go viral off a personal post for example 
And then two, it's like, once that's done, you've exposed yourself out there for what reason? You know, so it's important that you have boundaries in place on where you go and you can't go. You know, so things that you're comfortable talking about and you don't talk about. So as I said, for me, I don't talk about my kids often. If I do, I, I, if I do, I don't share pictures of them because that's one of my boundaries. However, I will talk about what I do in my spare time because you cannot build a personal brand on LinkedIn or anywhere else without that personal side. People, you know, people don't just want to know who you are on the work front. It's just like, if you look at it like this, yeah, when you're at work, the colleagues that you really end up getting on with, what do you know about them? And you don't just know what their day job is and what their, their, their task and what KPRs they achieve that day, you know? You know more about them. Maybe you know about their kids. Maybe you know about where they went on the holiday last week. Maybe you know that they go church on Sunday or whatever. Maybe you have conversations around that. So it's the same thing with LinkedIn. It's like we don't just want to know the boring stuff about your work class, you know. We also want to know who you are as a person because how that translates as a business person is that when people people get to the whole social selling thing is that you're building up this thing where people get to know you like you and trust you now when that happens and they know you like you and trust you they buy into you as a brand and when they buy into you it's so much easier for them to buy from you you know because it's it's they're not so i've had i've been on calls where people are like mildred like I'm already sold, <laughs> you know, it's like I've been seeing your content for however long, I'm on your newsletter, I've watched your videos, I'm already sold, just tell me how I can work with you. I'm like, okay, let's do this, <laughs> you know, so, and that is the power of building a personal brand on LinkedIn, you know, so if you're afraid of that, just put in some boundaries of what, what, what can you share about yourself that you're comfortable sharing, and then wherever you feel like is a no-go for you, then put it in no-go. You don't know what's forcing you to share stuff that makes you uncomfortable, but it is important that you share an element of your personal life if you want to build a successful personal brand on LinkedIn. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to. Which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. Why do you think people chase virality? Because your point, it comes, it goes, a lot of times the virus stuff doesn't generate business, but yet people still are trying to find a formula to get those clicks and get those likes and go viral. Why is that? Because you get a real rush. <laughs> I will tell you, I will tell you that it's like, so, so I've had some posts go crazy viral, you know? Um, and, and this is, again, this is personality type thing is like, so. I had the one post where I mean, this was about, I can't remember, was it last year where I talked about the Woman King, the film. So as you can see, this is nothing to do with my day job, you know, but I went to see the film and I loved the film, absolutely loved the film. And so I did a post about how actually the Woman King is amazing because here we have a film that celebrates black women and celebrates Africa and celebrates all of that kind of stuff about the usual what I summarize as nonsense that we can sometimes get in these in these films, you know, and that post went crazy. I wasn't even expecting it to. It went crazy over six thousand plus reactions, comments. It got to the point that I had to turn it off, and I had to like not go in and check the comments and check my LinkedIn because it got overwhelming for me, right? Because I'm like, this is a lot. I I can't one because I also have a policy. I like to respond to people if someone bothers to comment on my post I like to respond and engage somehow but this was so crazy I could not engage with everybody and then of course that also attracts the negative people for their nonsense as well you know which I've got no time for you know I'm not here for you on LinkedIn right so but it's like a viral post it can on a natural level is like it gives you like that dopamine kind of right it's a rush that some people get from it right and then also it makes you feel like your content or whatever it is, is resonating with people. And that's a good thing, you know, but 
the the downside of it, as I said, if you go viral on a post that's got nothing really to do with your day job, so you will have all of that, you get the feeling, you'll feel great, and then it has no tangible business results because that post I'm telling you is my most viral to date, but that did not translate into a single person coming into my world for coaching or whatever it is that, that I do, you know? And then the other thing as well, the other downside that people don't talk about often as well with going viral is that, that unless you, and even the greats, and I've studied a lot of the LinkedIn great copywriters, right? Even they do not consistently go viral on a daily basis, which means that when you go that high, you're eventually going to drop. And that drop is probably going to come on your next post. <laughs> You know, it's going to come on your next post. And you're like, what happened? The people not love me anymore. Yeah, they love that post. You know, don't take it personal. So I always say to my clients, listen, you have got to detach your ego from your post. Because if you don't, that thing will drive you crazy. One minute you feel like, oh my God, I'm on top of the world because I got, I put a post and I got loads of engagement. And then the very next day you put a poster and there's crickets, you know? So, and if you don't detach your ego, you will take it personal and start to internalize what is not even there. It's just how these things work. It's just how fickle human nature is, unfortunately. So yeah, please don't do that. I've learned this from experience. <laughs> See, there's a words of wisdom right there that really understanding the, I guess that's a psychology even behind the virality and the post and LinkedIn, it's important to know that. It's important to own that. It's important to learn from that as well. And there's a point you made, made twice, which I kind of picked up on. There's a lot of time and effort that goes into posting a LinkedIn, running a newsletter, running a business. Even prior to that, when you had both your side hustle and main, main hustle, time is like a common component I hear all the way throughout. How... Do you navigate being a, a wife, a mother, a person with your own life as well and finding time to do all these things? Because I know the women that I work with and I, and I coach and we have the conversation all the time around the, um, the guilt that they can feel as, as women, um, in particular around, oh, I want to do this, I want to have a side hustle, but I'm not sure I have time. I've got all the back and forth and the, that can easily tear you up. You seem like someone who's finally figured out a good system to make it all work. So I want to learn from you. Like, what is it that you've been able to do to help you do that? Well, oh wow, how long have you got? I can change But honestly, it's like that's something. Time for me is so precious and so valuable. It is such such something that I hold very, very, very highly. You know, in terms of more than money. You know, and so we should, because money you can replace, time you can't, you know? So for me, it's been a journey over the years of getting to the place where I have really good boundaries in my work life, where I work less hours worth than I've ever done in my entire life and earn more than I've ever done in my entire life, you know? And that has been very intentional. So the first thing I'll say from the get-go is actually I have a really good support system in my husband. Like he is absolutely amazing, you know, in terms of from the time that our kids were young, it was never my responsibility alone to parent the kids, you know. And a lot of the time as women, we get into this trap where it's like we take over everything to do with the children. And so the husbands are there like, well, you got this covered. I'm going to go play football, you know, or, or whatever else husbands do. <laughs> My husband plays football. I watch his football, <laughs> you know, and loads of other amazing stuff, you know. But it's like, so from the get-go, we have both been actively involved as parents, you know, to the point that he even went part-time, you know, just as I did so that we can look after the kids and not have to put them into um, nursery from very young because of the fact that both my girls suffered from really bad eczema, um, you know, and, and we're coming out of it now, but it was an absolute nightmare when they were young. So putting them to nursery or someone else's care was not even an option, you know, at all. 
So we both kind of from very early on got involved in terms of looking and being parent and actively parenting our children together. So that has been an absolutely big help um, in on the time factor. Another thing is I really, a lot of the time that we have this skill around work and family, et cetera, is sometimes we feel like work is a lesser thing, you know, than our other so-called responsibilities. But I actually believe that work is a really important part of who we are and how we're made by God, you know, how we're wired that to actually get into the whole, um, to get into like, your calling, your purpose, like work that fulfills you and makes a difference in the world is essential. So when you step into that kind of work, it's no longer be about something that, oh, I have to do. Now it's something that's like, this is a part of me. I need to do this because this is me fulfilling my reason for being on this earth. So actually this matters a lot as well. So, so with those backdrops, now, one of the things that I, I started to do over the years is that I started to introduce boundaries. Now, I think it's important to mention here, um, Sobe, I don't know if you know this, but um, four years ago, I had a brain tumor, you know, um, which I've talked about on LinkedIn um, before. I talk about it generally twice a year, um, when it's the anniversary and when I go for my annual checkups with my surgeon um, for MRI scans and all that. But four years ago, I had a brain tumor, you know, and at that point of having that brain tumor, my life was full on, you know, my kids were small, as I said, we're dealing with eczema, you know, I had a job, I had a business, I had it all going. And then I had this brain tumor and my life had to stop. Literally, it had to stop because there was no other choice. And so I stopped. Not by choice, but because my body is like, we're coming down now because we need to deal with this. So for months and months and months, I had to relearn how to get back up again, how to do things like walking. I had to read, I had to pick myself back up. And then part of the beauty and the blessing of that process is this whole, like, this whole thing of actually, what kind of work life do I want to have? And how can I shape my work life so that I can incorporate more rest into my schedule so it's not so full on, you know? Um, I read a, I read it, I don't think it was a book, it was a sermon. I don't know, I can't remember what it was that I got it from, but this guy was talking about this concept of having margins in your life, you know? So, so many of us, if you look at a, note, um, a Word document, for example, you will see that when you open it up, there's margins on the edges, there's space. You know, so there's space. So you write only within the margins. But so many of us live life with no margins. So there's no space. So if anything happens, we are finished. You know, if our health goes, we are finished. If an emergency occurs, we are finished because we have no margin. We have no space. We can't help our neighbor. We can't stop over and have a chat with the neighbor next door because we're busy going from meeting to meeting. And that person could be about to jump off a cliff. You know, but you have no space. So going through this whole thing of like this illness and recovering from it, I started to look at how can I create more margin in my life so I actually have space, you know, and part of that, and that started my journey to looking at what can I remove, what's causing me to be all backed up and all to the pages. And one of the first shifts that I made, you know, I had a coaching business and I have international clients. I probably get more international clients that I do UK ones you know so one of the things I used to do was evening coaching sessions you know but I didn't particularly not doing evening coaching sessions because when my kids are home from school I'm mum you know and I want to cook and not that I want to cook I don't love cooking right I have to cook <laughs> you know so I want I have to cook I have to like I want to feed them that bit I like you know someone else can do the cooking you know but I have to do all of this stuff, but in the midst of trying to do that, I was there trying to coach clients for like an hour coaching session and my kid will be walking by. It's like, mom, can I, mom, just hold on one second. It was stressing me, you know? So that was one of the first things that I cut off. And it was like, there was that whole fear of what, if I lose this, will I still get international clients? What if they say they can't do the daytime and all of that, is that gonna impact my income and all of that? But even with all those fears, I had to make that decision and I did. And guess what? It did not impact my business. <laughs> you 
you know, in fact, what I've discovered, the more boundaries that you implement in your life is actually the more other people respect those boundaries and the more you thrive. And then you can, as a coach, I'm now a better coach because I'm coaching my clients at hours that work for me. When I'm not tired and wasted and like trying to deal with one kid or the other, you have my best because now I've put boundaries around when we can have conversations. So it's just gradually those things over the years. So dropping that, I, I made a shift where I don't do meetings before 10 o'clock, you know, because my morning times are important. You know, that's my time I spend. That's what I call my God time. It's my exercise time. It's my time to just start the day at peace, <laughs> you know. So I don't want to be speaking to anyone before 10 o'clock. You know, that's like another boundary that works for me. After school, I work generally, even though my, my husband gets the kids now from school, but generally I work up until the kids come home from school. And then it's like, I am mom, you know, I'm not doing anything now, you know, kind of thing, because I want to spend some time with the kids. And then also they do like a million white clubs, you know, so I become cab driver as well, <laughs> you know, going here and there. So, but it's like gradually all of these things over the years and I'm not saying to do them all at once because it'll be overwhelming but just start today with what's one boundary that I can put in place time-wise that will buy me back some time and some peace you know because both are important so it's like the ultimate well not the ultimate I'm sure there are others I can implement but in this year I implemented a um, Wednesday me day boundary which is on Wednesdays now it's I don't do meetings I don't do calls, I don't do anything, I don't do work. I can go to the cinema on my own if I want to because I like solo cinema. Yeah, I don't mind that. So I like my own company, you know? So it's, uh, and if I want to go to a spa, I'm not really big on spas, but if I wanted to, I can. But that's Wednesday. So midweek break to just have me time. And I realized that all of these things, these boundaries, not only do they refresh me, and make me better it make it affects everybody around me in a positive way you know i say to my family listen especially as an introvert i need me time to to kind of recharge my batteries if i'm constantly surrounded by people and doing things and doing and doing i get burnt out so i intentionally have to put boundaries in place to make sure that i can thrive and be a good wife a good mom a good coach a good sister a good whatever it is that i have to be that happens with boundaries. So that's my really long way of saying that it happens over time, but it doesn't happen by accident. You must be intentional about it, about certain boundaries that work for you, for your family, for your business, and ultimately gives you a better life. Because if you're in business and you're more stressed than you were in your nine to five, something is going wrong. You know, you are the worst boss. So you need to change that, <laughs> you know? it's important it's important you need to have that that dose of reality especially when you are looking after yourself in particular i mean that journey that you just described that you went through man i can't even imagine like i know you revisit it you said twice a year but even navigating having a brain tumor and coming out there learning to walk again does that ever hold you back or does it propel you forward to be like, actually, I know what it's like to almost lose my life. And therefore I know there's so much more that I'm, when I'm here, I want to pour out every single thing I have. Oh God. Yeah. It's definitely the latter. Definitely the, the, the propelling forward one of, it's like, I was like, listen, this thing didn't kill me. <laughs> It means it ain't my time to die and it means I've got things to do. I still have a purpose. And by the way, each and every one of us has this and you don't need a brain tumor, some kind of life changing sickness or illness to wake up and realize this, that we are all here for a purpose, you know, and you have a purpose that only you can fulfill, you know. So for me, it definitely gives me the the motivation and the passion to kind of go for what I call, see, there's a book that I read many, many years ago that I was like, my God, this book, yeah, I could have written this book, but this book speaks so much to me. It's called An Enemy Called Average by John Mason. It's a very small book, but brilliant book, but it just talks about how average is the enemy. 
you know, like we are not created to be average, but yes, yeah, so many of us settle for an average life, you know, where you're not walking in your full potential. You don't love what it is that you're doing. You're not serving to your capacity. And this is where my whole be invisible message comes into it as well, because if I hadn't started that journey of being visible, I would still be living an average life and not impacting people nowhere near as much as I am doing now. But even this, I ain't even started. <laughs> you know, there's so much more in me, you know, and there's so much more in you and in all of us, you know. So for me, yes. Also going through that brain tumor experience and learning how to walk again and all of that, it made me realize that I am a whole lot stronger than I thought, just as we all are. You know, we can, we, there's so much more inside of us. And sometimes it's only through adversity that we really discover just how we're made and how strong we are. You know, I went from a place of I, I could barely walk and be fainting like regularly to I ran my first 5K like within, um, I think, so generally the, it happened in September. So within seven months of that, I was running again and I ran a 5K. Because I set myself the challenge of I need to walk again, I need to run, and I need to go and run a 5K to prove to myself that I can do this. You know, so that whole thing of like, it's just there is so much more in you and I that we, we are showing and we are walking in at any moment in time. And for me, my quest in life is constantly to conquer myself, to become the better version of myself every single day that I'm alive. What does that look like where is where is Mildred trying to go to next where am I going next <laughs> I don't know I'm joking <laughs> <laughs> you know well well right now I'm looking on a work front I'm looking to conquer the podcasting world you know because um I just launched a brand new podcast called Start Be Invisible which is to take this message of you know encouraging women in particular to start being visible to take that further and to raise the visibility of women in every sector. Um, I actually used to have a, a podcast about seven years ago, Careers Podcast, which I did for a year. Um, so this is like my second time round at it. But this time I want to build this thing to like, you know, so we can reach as many people as possible. I'm not going to put numbers on it because the downside of being, I am quite a high achiever. <laughs> you may not figure that out uh, or not. But the downside of that is I am the kind of person who puts like what some people would call unrealistic goals and unrealistic numbers of things. And I've just learned to just kind of be more moderate, <laughs> you know, so I'm not going to put any figures out loud, but let's just say I have very big plans for this podcast and how far I want it to reach. And then um, I also want to resurrect my Visible Women tribe, which is my community of amazing women that I've been um, I've had the pleasure of connecting within my journey on LinkedIn and beyond over the last kind of coming up to four years. So I want to do that with relaunching it as a membership community. And so I am planning a conference, breaking news um, for in 2024. At some point, that's going to relaunch this tribe and bring that message to the forefront. So that, those are just some of the things. And of course, I want to continue coaching amazing women who want to start being visible and build their brands and their businesses and their careers through LinkedIn. And by the way, I don't subscribe to the whole notion of unreasonable or unachievable or whatever word you want to use in goals. If you have a goal and other people think that it's impossible, that's based on their limitations, not yours. Because part of the success is actually striving for things that seem impossible until you get it. Be like, okay, on to the next one. So whatever numbers you got, go for it knock it out of the park i have absolute faith and that you are determined and dug it enough to actually make it work but more important is what you learn in the process that's important and i'm curious why just women <laughs> it's, it's a good question because believe it or not i've actually worked with male clients <laughs> you know i just don't publicize it um they not that often in there but the reason specifically women is as women, we tend to have different hangups about showing up, you know, than men do sometimes. This is, this is just generally speaking, right? So obviously there aren't many, many exceptions in both sides, right? But as women, I tend to find that for a lot of us, 
we grow up with a message around kind of women are supposed to kind of be in a background and you know be subservient not you know be be seen and not be heard or seen all that kind of stuff but just like we take a back seat so for a lot of us we go in the world of work and we go in the world of business and we're just kind of politely and patiently and quietly waiting for someone to notice us so that we can then have permission to do whatever it is that we're, so we want to do, you know, whether that's speak on a meeting or, or kind of, you know, d take that opportunity for a speaking engagement or whatever, but we're just there waiting for our hard work to speak for us and we don't speak for ourselves. So even at the time when I was doing this, I was starting this LinkedIn coaching business, I was saying to my husband, like, like my focus is, I was like, I don't want to be a, you know, another LinkedIn person teaching people algorithms. I don't care about that stuff. It's the visibility thing that really matters to me, that the messages be visible, start being seen. And he was like, I don't get it. Like, what's so hard about showing up on LinkedIn? <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's the issue. For a lot of men, it's like, what's the big deal? He's <laughs> just posted on LinkedIn, you know? But for a lot of women, there's a huge deal. There's the fear of judgment we have to overcome. There's the fear of what would other people think of me? You know, there's the fear of failing. There's the fear of getting it wrong. There's the fear of what if it doesn't work out? What if someone disagrees with me? There's all kinds of hangups. So that's why. And that's safe for both men and women in Italy. It's interesting you've mentioned this. I literally have an article that I've not published. I had a conversation with a woman in particular last week and I was saying some stuff in my journey. She's like, oh, you were able to do step outside your comfort zone a lot more because you're a man. I was like, no, it had nothing to do with being male or female. It's more around my mindset and my mentality of what I was trying to get to. Because a lot of things that you also just mentioned right now, men also go through. So I'm, I'm curious, is it the fact that it's a gender thing or is it a mindset, personal development thing? Yeah, I, I do agree with you that it is mindset, personal development does play a big part in this, definitely. You know, but I do honestly in the because my CV business, which I did for 12 years, right? That was a woman only. That was everyone. If I was probably maybe slightly more men than women than ourselves of that, you know, but I, one thing I did notice while I was in that job market space is that men tend to be a lot more comfortable asserting themselves in certain type of situations than women do. And there's all kinds of stats out there, you know, about, you know, and you probably heard it as well, that, you know, a man would look at a job and meet like 60% of it and say, yep, I'm applying. The woman would meet 95% and be like, oh, I don't know if I'll get this job, you know? So that kind of thing. So there's like a natural assertion that most men, not all, definitely not all, you know, men have when it comes to certain situations that as women, we sometimes don't have. So I think that's really my focus is on that because I know that it's something that I've heard more from women than I have from men. And also as a woman, I can understand that being through some of this stuff and I can understand the nuances, you know, that comes from experiencing it as a woman than just experiencing it as a human being in general. So that's the thing. But that said, as I said, I do. There are some men who approach me because my content and my stuff resonates with them and they're like, yep. I'm like, how come you won't put up by the market? And they're like, I can relate to everything else. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, let's do this then. So I'm not anti-men at all. It's just I'm here to support my ladies to go to that next level in their work lives. To end this podcast, I've got two questions. And it's something I've been thinking about recently. And you're the first person I'm actually going to ask this question to. Um... The whole series of the whole question is around the fact that, let me say from my perspective, as a black man, for example, it says as a black man filling the blank, i.e. What, what, what do black men need? It might be we need space to say what's on our mind. It might be we need peace because we want people in our lives to love and respect, whatever that looks like. And I'm curious, if I was to ask you, as a black woman, what do you need? What would you want to see happen for black women? What would you say? Oh, this is a very loaded question for the last two minutes. <laughs> you know, um, 
it's it's really funny and and i probably i'm gonna try and keep my eyes assured and by saying this my first identification isn't actually as a black woman you know so my first identification identify first of all on a faith level you know as a christian that's my first identity that that informs who i am and how i operate in the world you know but also the fact I am very conscious of the fact that I'm a black woman. And if you just look at LinkedIn, for example, and you look at people who are visible on LinkedIn with huge um, influences, all that kind of stuff, there's not many that look like me. You know, there's not, there's not much, many, there's the representation isn't there. So this is why it's like in terms of what I needed as a black woman in my rise and my career and my business and all of that was to see other people who look like me doing the things that I wanted to do. And more often than not, I didn't see that. So part of me doing what I do is to be that person for somebody else, you know, because if you can see it, you can be it, you know, as cliched as that might be, it's true. Visibility matters because we need to see people like us doing the things that we want to do because that helps us to know that it's possible, it's achievable, and that we too can do it. So if you ask me what I need, I need even more visibility from black women doing amazing and extraordinary things. I need to see them so I know that I can also get there because they've gotten there before me. Love that. That's... I love that. That's <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say. And my last question will be then, how do you define leadership? Good. You come with a meaty question. Leave us out. Come on now. Come on. <laughs> it's such a funny question because I, I struggled for a long time to call myself a leader because I didn't think I was a leader. You know, because for me, leadership is always about leading a team, leading an organization, leading loads of people. And I'm like, I'm leading myself. <laughs> you know, yes, there are people following me, but I'm not actively trying to lead them. They're just following me, you know? So, but I'm, I'm working, I'm not fully there yet, but I've been working on changing that definition of leadership and my understanding of it to be Leadership is basically setting a good example for others to follow is how I see leadership. And that starts with leading yourself. You cannot lead others if you don't first lead yourself down the right path. So that would be my very loose work in progress still <laughs> definition of what leadership is. Lead yourself so that you can lead other people effectively. You are... I think even in your summation, you talk about having people who follow you. If you already have that, that's a very good example of, of a leader. Because if people are not following you, then I think someone said, if, if you're a leader and people are not following you, you're just going for a walk by yourself. And the work that you do, the way that you show up, and I said it right at the start, there's so many people I know who are like, have you seen what Mildred, like Mildred's? Mildred's amazing and Mildred really encourages us. Mildred really comes with the practicality, practical approach of things um, rather than just giving you this high level theory. Like she's someone who's real, relatable, who we can really um, connect with. And whether we directly work with her or not, there's so much stuff that she gives us. And that's, that's a message that follows you everywhere you go because they, your authenticity that you talked about right at the start is shining through. I think that's very, very important that a leader has. And it's one of the reasons why I always wanted to get you on and talk to you and talk about your story and your journey. And just listen to you today of the the ups and downs that you've navigated, the growth that you've had to go through for yourself and how you're now pouring that into other people, the health challenges and creating those boundaries and the intentionality between your growth, you as a wife you as a as a mother and all those different elements you're representing so much and when you talk about being visible you are exemplifying and modeling what that really looks like and it's definitely appreciated and it's definitely seen and i look forward to the amazing more things to come from the success of the podcast i'm saying it here right now um which is going to be great 
to the conference you're going to have next year and anywhere shape or form that can support that honestly let me know um, we'll definitely push that out there and more things are not going to come from you it's really really needed so thank you for all that you are doing in the field that you're operating in thank you so much that was incredibly edifying last 30 seconds of, of everything that you just said so thank you very very much i really appreciate it and i see the work that you do on linkedin as well so i'm it's such a pleasure for us to connect in this way. So thank you. You are an awesome leader too. Thank you. It has been a pleasure. This is Everyday Leadership. We will see you all next week. While you're still recovering from that amazing conversation, let me give you a quick preview of what we got coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Because when you think about energy, when you think about forward momentum, that's what drove me. That's what moved me from those numbers where I was then to where I am right now. And then, like I say, it wasn't, I wasn't driven by the numbers. I didn't know what numbers I was to be right now, but I knew that I wanted a better life for my family. And therefore, I was willing to sacrifice. I was willing to do things very, very different to people. I took a lot of, <laughs> a lot, of leaps outside my comfort zone because I knew what I I knew that that forward leap that first one which was painful hurt uncomfortable but it moved me forward and then I took another one and then took another one and that is what momentum is all about 